Thank you so much, team. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to join me in the Gospel of John, John chapter 16. And we're going to be walking through verses 16 through 24 this morning. And our theme around the Word is just a little while. Just a little while. Uh, I will never forget Sunday, May the 31st, 2009. I was serving as a youth pastor down in Florida, and it was May, and it happened to be Senior Recognition Sunday, so we're getting ready to do that uh, in two Sundays and celebrate that milestone moment. Uh, And uh, we were getting ready for a breakfast that morning, and families were there, had a special time for families and students all planned out. And, um, and so I had kind of been back and forth from the office to the gathering space, just getting everything lined up. And so now I'm making my way towards that gathering area uh, for the breakfast time. And as I'm going, I get a phone call and I, I, I see it's from my lovely bride and I answer the phone call and I did ask her permission to talk about this just so you know before I go any further. Uh, but I, I, I answered the phone and she said, my water broke. Uh, and that means that uh, it's go time uh, for having what was our first child, baby boy, Elijah. And so uh, I looked to someone there on staff and I just like, I'm having a baby. <laughs> and to which now... Uh, my bride is having the baby, right? And, and so, but he's just like, go, go, go. And so I got in the car. I'm sure the breakfast was great that morning and got to the hospital around 9 a.m.-ish and uh, about 32 long sleepless hours later, uh, Elijah was born. And uh, it, it's amazing, uh, obviously, just um, just that time of, sleeplessness and restlessness and challenge and struggle and and all those moments culminate when you hold that new life in your hand and it's like in that moment um, those 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 challenges just 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 disappear to the moment of the joy of holding that baby boy and the reason I share that is because this is the picture that Jesus has chosen to use to teach His disciples about the lasting joy that is only found through Him in just a little while. The main idea of our text this morning is that Jesus encourages His disciples by telling them of the joy that is coming. The joy that is coming. So He's preparing them. His hour had come. He's no longer physically going to be with them anymore He's prayed to the Father. He told them He's going to pray to the Father. And the Father, He's going to ask the Father to send another helper. That word another means one of the same kind. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. That God is going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell them, to empower them, to give them peace, to give them comfort. And Jesus had just uh, told them about the gift of the Holy Spirit, His presence dwelling in them. And then in the same breath, He also tells them how the world is going to hate them. Uh, Not only that the world will hate them, but they will be kicked out of their synagogues, which meant this is the center of their community. They likely lose their family and their friendships. So the world's going to hate them. They're going to lose. They're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. And then Jesus also says... And whoever kills you, 
they're going to think they're offering a service to God. And so this is the final night of the earthly ministry of Jesus. It's just hours before his betrayal and his crucifixion. And he's somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's walking with the disciples. And he's continuing to pour into them this truth and encouragement. And along the way, he is telling them about the affliction and the suffering and the persecution that is coming. He literally tells them, whoever kills you is going to think they're doing a good thing. And so it's, it's almost hard to put myself in the shoes of those disciples and to understand what Jesus is telling them. You're going to lay down your lives. But when you do, He's going to encourage them that it will only be for a little while. He's going to encourage them that there is going to be a joy that is coming in just a little while. We can do just about anything for a little while. We can do even do really challenging things if we know it's going to be for a little while. Um, you know, if you've you got five minutes to do something and those first four minutes are really, really hard, but you see you got one minute left, like you can dig down deep, you're going to find a way to get it done. I think of you know, running a race, and, and for any runners in the house, you get to the, to the, to the, you know, the starting line, all the people are there, you know, you, you, you know you, they send you out, you start running, you're with the masses, and like, you're just like, you're going for it, just everything is great, but somewhere along the way, the pack begins to break up, and there's going to be these moments where probably you're not really running around anybody anymore, you're just in it by yourself, and you have these battles of, well, I just need to stop or I need to break. Or I'm going to slow down and, and, and maybe nobody's really watching now. And so I'm just going to kind of like take a break. But as you get closer to the finish line and you start hearing the, the people and you actually see the finish line, what's happened? You like, you like find that third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth wind, right? To, to help propel you past the finish line because we can endure those really difficult times when we know the finish line is approaching. And so Jesus is going to tell them and remind them that in just a little while, that sorrow is going to turn into joy. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's speaking to the church. And he says this, For this light momentary affliction... He calls this challenge that they're in a momentary affliction. He says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This life, all of us could testify we experience the, the challenge, we experience the trials, perhaps even use the word suffering. Even just this past week, we've experienced and suffered great loss in our community. And, and you look even in the news and it doesn't take long, you just see the, the brokenness that is in our world and, 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 and you see the sorrow and the hurt and the pain. And even in the disciples' lives in this moment, you see the trial, but the words Jesus is going to give them it's going to give them encouragement in the brokenness. Give them encouragement in the suffering. Encouragement in 
the trial. And here he is again on his way with Gethsemane in view and the cross just hours away. Here our Savior is once again being, being discerning and being caring and compassionate towards his disciples. And he's going to speak a word of encouragement to them that they desperately need. And he's going to remind them, and this is encouraging for all of us to hear, sorrow is fleeting. Sorrow is fleeting. Sorrow and sadness, the sorrow and sadness that these disciples are experiencing will be short-lived. And just this short time in the upper room, we have seen multiple times now where Jesus has told his disciples, let your hearts not be troubled. Let your hearts not be troubled. Let your hearts not be troubled. He sees that there, uh, there's a weight and a heaviness to this, 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 this suffering that they're processing and that they're going to be walking through. But they're going to see Jesus again. In verse 16 of John 16, the Bible says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the, his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. They're they're puzzled. They're confused. What is he talking about? We're not going to see him and then we're going to see him again and and, and what, what is happening here? And Jesus actually uses the language a little while. He's used it multiple times, even in the Gospel of John. Going back in John 7, months before the cross, Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. And then just a several days before the cross, in John 12, verse 35, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. He says again in John 13, 33, Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I will say to you where I'm going, you can't come. He was speaking to the cross. Only Christ could go to the cross and to pay the price for our sin to be forgiven. Only Him so he's telling them, you can't go. You can't go to the place I'm going. In John 14, 19, he says, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you'll see me because I live. You will also live. He's been preparing them all along the way. In a little while. In a little while. In a little while. He even on the way to Jerusalem told them that he would be handed over that he would be crucified and that we rise again over in Mark chapter 10, verse 34, or verse 32. The Bible says, And they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and they will spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So he's been, he's been preparing them. I'm going to be handed over, spat upon, mocked, 
crucified, rose from the dead. He's been preparing them, but we can read the Bible and even the disciples and their questions and their questioning. And we're like, how can they question? I mean, look at what Christ has done. Look at who he is. But yet they are, they're struggling. And I think probably for some of us, how many of us have gone into something not 100% sure what we're doing? And then we get on the other side, we make it and we say the phrase, uh, you know, well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Because it's like, if you knew now what you knew then, you would have maybe done things a lot different. You know why? Because once we experience something, we understand something in a new way. The disciples hadn't experienced the kiss of Judas in the garden. They haven't experienced the mob. They haven't experienced the kangaroo court after kangaroo court. They haven't experienced Pilate sentencing. They haven't experienced Christ taking the cross. They haven't experienced Him being nailed to a cross and being crucified for a sin. They haven't experienced all that. And so they are like in trauma mode right now. Jesus has told them, I'm no longer physically going to be with you anymore. They have got trauma going on. And if you're there, things don't always make sense when you're in trauma mode. So they're piecing it all together. And in verse 19, the Bible says, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask Him. And I love that, those just few verses, because here's what it reminds me. Jesus knows everything. He knows everything. He knows their struggles. He knows what they're kind of like, Oh, what's he talking about? I don't know. You know, like he, he knows that's going on. He knows everything that's going in our lives. This is encouraging for us. Because if we're honest, perhaps there have been times or areas or things that we want to keep hidden. We want to keep secret. And, and, and so we try to tuck these things away. But the thing is, there's nothing hidden before God. And this is actually a super comforting truth. Because he knows everything and he loves us still. He knows everything and He loves us still. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus welcomes questions. Thomas, even just a few verses earlier, was asking his questions. Philip was asking his questions. And now they're even talking like, what's he talking about? I don't understand. And so Jesus just steps into the conversation, into their questions. And He's going to shepherd that conversation. In verse 20... The Bible says, Jesus says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So he's just told them he's going to go away and then he's going to come again. And they're processing and they're wondering what's going on. And Jesus is saying, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What the disciples are about to experience over the course of the next 24 hours is a culmination to the depth of sorrow that a person could experience. They're going to experience the lowest of lows. Jesus says they will lament, they will sorrow. And while they sorrow, and while they are in the depth of despair, the world is going to celebrate. The world is going to celebrate the Jewish leaders who work tirelessly all night to corner Christ and to set him up and to get him handed over to Pilate and to get him on that cross. They're like, finally, he's, he's over. He's done with. We're over him. 
The nuisance has been dealt with. The problem is gone. They're going to they're gonna celebrate. But in this moment, the sorrow that, was, that will be brought by this instrument of torture, this, cruce, this cross, this source of their greatest sorrow in just a few days is going to become the source of their greatest joy. Because the cross is the display of God's love for us and His shedding of His blood to pay the price for our sin. And in just a few days, after this borrowed tomb is going to be needed no longer, He gloriously rises from the dead. And it's going to be this thing like they're in the depth of sorrow because of this cross, but yet after that third day, they're going to look back and it's going to be the source of lasting joy because sorrow is fleeting and joy is lasting. Only the joy that Christ offers The rejoicing of the world and sorrow of the disciples will be short-lived because of the cross. The cross is the foundation for joy. And I just wonder if we had a joy scale right now. And we'll just say a 10 is is the, the most fullest sense of joy that you've ever experienced in your life, and then a one obviously would be the least amount of joy you've experienced in your life. I'm just curious, if, if our hearts were on display, I just wonder where, our, where your joy is, where my joy is. Because this world is a broken place, and broken things absolutely happen. And they take a toil on us, and they cause a depth of sorrow and even lament, as Christ has even shared with His disciples, But I just wonder, are you struggling with finding joy? And my encouragement for all of us would be that this word could be a reminder, would be to look toward the cross. And may we be reminded of the incredible love God has for you. And the fact that He loved you so much that He crucified His Son so that your and mine sin could be forgiven. This is His love for you. And He is the source of lasting joy. He goes on to say in verse 20, You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. It's going to turn into joy. He goes on to share that when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. It's this picture that this sorrow is not forever. This sorrow is fleeting, but lasting joy is on the way. He says in verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. I will see you again. Now here's the thing, we don't 100% know exactly when he, what he's talking about. There's a couple scenarios. One scenario is he's going to be crucified on the cross, and then days later after the resurrection, he's going to see them again. And what an amazing moment of joy that must have been, especially for Peter, as the Bible tells us he was cowering in fear that they were next. So Jesus sees them again. Another possibility is that He is speaking of the, the hour in which we live, the church age. Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He will return again. And there is this time that we are living in, in, 
and, and anxious awaiting for His return. And what a moment that will be if it's in our lifetime. But then another possibility, and this is possible because in light of Christ, sharing about the Holy Spirit and the Helper who will come and indwell them, will comfort them, will empower them. It could be He's speaking of the hour in which the Holy Spirit that He will send to indwell His believers, His church. There's a fruit of the Spirit over in Galatians 5, and maybe some of you may have learned a song as a child about the fruit of the Spirit, but uh, let's give it a go, okay? But we're only going to go to the first two, okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. We're going to stop right there. (laughs) Joy. Like the Holy Spirit is joy. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit indwelling us, the blessing of the Father, His presence. This is how He's able to say, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is how He's able to say on the Galilean mountainside, when He tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And behold, or lo, I am with you Always. How can he be with them always? He's physically leaving them because of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that is going to indwell them. They will have joy because the Spirit of God is joy. And when we yield our flesh to the Spirit, that we experience that joy that is lasting and the only source of everlasting joy is the only, only way. And I love that he says this to the disciples, and no one can take it from you. No one can take it from you. The joy that you're going to have, the lasting joy that I will give you, the joy of the Spirit dwelling you, hey, no one can take it away. But we can, and we got to be on our guard, because we can give our joy away. God has gifted us with His joy, but there are all kinds of joy thieves that are in our world. And they come in all shapes and all sizes, and they look all different kinds of ways. But we can know when our joy is off that there has been a thief that has come in in some way to distract and discourage and to deter the joy that only God can give. And so, sorrow is fleeting Joy is lasting. But then he gives them this one more encouraging word here in the text that we'll see today. And that is this invitation to pray in the power of his name. Pray in the power of his name. The Bible says in verse 23, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever or whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So he's saying there's going to be a day when there's not questions. But they, they obviously, like Thomas had his questions, Philip had his questions. Jesus w- was obviously knows all things because he's God. He knows the questions that they were even battling in that moment. He's like, listen, there's going to day, be a day when there aren't those questions. Why? How? Because the helper, the Holy Spirit, is the resident truth teacher of the believer's life. That... You get on the other side of something and it's like, okay, this makes sense now. I was talking with a friend just before church 
And we sometimes wonder why things happen the way they happen because we, it seems like it's going to happen the way, but there's going, to be a, there's going to be that point where it does make sense. There's a lot of things in my life that happen that just don't make sense, but there will be a time when it makes sense. God is faithful and God knows and God sees. And so He invites them to pray and He's going to introduce them a new way of praying. In verse 24, the Bible says, Until now. You have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see, almost every prayer I think I've ever heard in my whole entire life has ended with, in Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. It's almost like we're done with praying. It's just, nah, it's there. It's like automatic. But think about it. The disciples had never prayed like that. <laughs> they they, they. You know, they, Jesus is teaching them, okay, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce to you the way you're going to pray from here on out. And he's going to tell them you're going to pray in my name, to pray in his name. And that as they pray to the Father in his name, they too, this too will bring joy and it will bring the joy of answered prayers when you pray according to my name. My name. My name is the filter, right? This past Friday night, I just want to give a, a, grad, a word of thanks to our deacons. Our deacons blessed our, our, our ministry staff with a meal on Friday night. It was an awesome blessing, delicious food, great fellowship, and a pastor, Mobley, a retired pastor from Church Road came and he shared with us. And in his encouraging word to us and as it related to prayer he I can't remember exactly how I said it but it was something like this is that prayer is not about our wishes it's about his will and that 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 brings a great level of understanding because when Jesus is saying pray in my name that's what we're praying we're praying his will we're praying that what we are asking and interceding is consistent with his will with His character, and with His purposes. That when we're praying, we're acknowledging our desperation and need for God. And not only that, but we are expressing a desire that God is glorified in what we are asking, yielding, and interceding for. So Jesus is inviting them that, that a great determination on our joy is praying in alignment with His will for our lives. So as we know that this joy has been made available to us through the power of the Spirit, and to know that this sorrow and suffering that we see in our world is only just for a little while, that lasting joy is coming, I want to encourage us through the words of Jesus even today, is that He is the source of lasting joy. Because I just wonder how many of us, or perhaps even someone in the room right now, they are searching for that joy. They are searching for that joy. They're searching for the lasting source of joy. There's all kinds of temporary substitutes that even might bring a certain level of happiness. But guess what? That too is just for a little while. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. Christ is the only source of lasting joy and it only comes through a personal relationship with Him. There is no peace 
there is no Christ relationship with Christ. And so, God is desiring that our joy be full. He has come that we may have life and have it to the full. The disciples are about to endure a very tough season. A very challenging season. So much so that Jesus said, when they kill you, they're going to think they're doing a good thing. But yet, He tells them in the same breath that in just a little while, the joy is coming and nobody can take it away. The Roman government could not take it away. Uh, The Jewish religious zealots and religious leaders couldn't take it away. No one can take that joy. It's that surpassing joy that only comes through a relationship with Him. And so, my encouragement as we look at the Word is simply this. Is it a day... Is today the day in which you need to reclaim your joy in Christ? That if you're honest, the joy meter in your heart, if the world could see it, it's, it's, it's struggling. The joy is missing. And so may we as a family of faith be reminded of the joy that is in Christ, that we will look to the cross and be reminded of His incredible love for us. And through abiding in Him, we will reclaim the joy that only He can give. Because, isn't it interesting that Jesus has talked about how they will be hated? He's talked about how they will be kicked out of the synagogues. He's talked about whenever they kill you and and, and all of this, and yet just before this, Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He will send another helper. And that helper will be your resident truth teacher. His presence, my presence in you, with you, to give you the grace. And not only that, he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And he says this in light of the suffering and the persecution and the affliction that is coming. And so in Jesus' name, may we rest and reclaim that joy. And I want to be uh, sincere in saying that uh, one of the greatest gifts God has given us is the body of Christ, a family of faith. And I just for what it's worth, I don't know what you might be walking through, but I can say this. It is easy to want to push down the sorrow, and push down the pain and just bottle it up and tuck it away. And the encouragement is is that it is healthy to cry. It is healthy to weep. It is not healthy to bottle that up. And that it is in those times that even in pain, the Holy Spirit and the family of faith will come come alongside you and walk with you. And through whatever challenge might become, I love that the disciples had one another as they walk through the challenges they face through. And so be reminded, God compassionately cares for you. He loves you, and He's the, he's the author and dispenser of true, lasting joys, the only one. And then I couldn't help as I read this, as I read this, but just God continued to put the persecuted church on my heart. Uh, we are very, very blessed. Um, today we, at least I think most of us, uh, made a decision on our own to, to get up and to come to this place and to worship together and to worship the Lord. And yet, right now in the world, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 360 million 
believers who live in highly persecuted areas of the world. That according to the latest numbers of 2022, that last year, 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith. That 2,110 Christian buildings and churches were attacked. And that 5,259 Christians were abducted just last year. And that's just of what we know. And that the persecuted church is as alive now as it was even back then. And that we have brothers and sisters who literally are laying down their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we be faithful to pray for them, pray protection, pray comfort, pray peace, pray joy, that lasting joy. They're in a momentary affliction right now, but the lasting joy is coming. And just pray God minister to them and refresh them. So may we be faithful to pray. I, I, a couple of years ago, maybe you've heard of the name Nabil Karishi. Uh, very influential, uh, anointed Christian leader uh, in our country. Uh, he passed away uh, due to stomach cancer at the age of 34. But just prior to his death, he wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's an incredible Incredible book of just his testimony of, of trusting in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of his life. And even in that conference, he was sharing how many believers in the West, where we live, feel threatened by Islam. And obviously, we should be burdened by a growing number of those in Islam. But he said the greatest threat to biblical Christianity in the West is not Islam. He said it's apathetic Christians. It's those who have placed lesser things above the glory of King Jesus. And that his challenge was this call to yield ourselves in a fresh way to the Lordship of Christ in every area of our lives. And in such a way that even as the disciples, we would be willing to lay down our life. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I would be called to that. I don't know that we will be called to that again we experience incredible freedom in the place where we live and call home. But yet that there could be that day where we would be asked to lay down our lives for the Lord. And what Jesus says is, through the Apostle Paul, this is a light and momentary affliction and the lasting joy is coming. Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me, Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2. I want to kind of close with this last passage because it speaks to our Lord's anticipation of the joy that was soon coming. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us, Run with endurance this race that is set before us. All of us are still running our race. We're still running our race. And he says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I love this. Who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That even for our Lord, 
It was that lasting joy that he would soon experience once he walks through this, these hours long of torture, execution, and ultimately laying his life down so that we could be free. And so as we are reminded in the text, brothers and sisters, may we be reminded that though we will face trial and suffering and affliction of all various kinds, may your heart not grow weary in doing good, in that this is a light and momentary season and lasting joy is coming, and that through the residing power of the Holy Spirit, that He is joy and He is love and He is peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, That is the fruit of the Spirit that we would yield to His rule and reign in our hearts and our lives. And may we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters facing persecution as we gather. And then also through the noise of the world that anyone who is not living in a life-giving relationship with Jesus, that you could hear through the noise of the world and hear the God who loves you, who made you with a purpose and longs to have that relationship with you through repentance and faith. May the Holy Spirit be the loudest voice in our lives, louder than any other. His Word and His Spirit applying to His Word to our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the blessing of Your Word God, I thank you for the encouragement that is found in your words to us. And God, I am humbled to see these 11 disciples being willing, God, to follow you wherever it leads. And we see the rest of the story and the struggles and the the, the trials, but God, we see your faithfulness to empower them and guide them and help them and encourage them. And give them and be for them everything that they can't be on their own. And so, Father, I thank you that in you and through you there is lasting joy. And I pray, God, that you would find us as a family of faith reflecting on the cross as our foundation for faith, the empty tomb, and never getting over being in awe of you. And, Father, I pray, God, for uh, the, the persecuted church in our world. Hundreds of millions of believers that are living in areas hostile to the word of truth, to the gospel. Encourage them, bless them, help them, comfort them, God, in an unmistakable, tangible way as they gather in threat of their life, God. Embolden them, empower them, give them great courage, God. And even in a tangible way, they sent you holding them close. God, as they make you known in a very, very dark, dark place. And God, I pray that in our lives, there would be no idols. There would be no thing or no person that we hold in higher regard, esteem, priority, and place in our lives than you. Because you are king and you are worthy. And it's in your presence, there's fullness of joy. It's through abiding in you that we bear much fruit, even in a difficult and trying season. So God, I pray, Father, that you would just work and move in our hearts and in our brothers and sisters all over the world to honor you, live for your glory, live for your mission. 
And Father, I do pray that if there's anyone here who has been striving to find lasting joy and perhaps looking at it and for it in all of the wrong places, there is one source, one place for lasting joy and peace, and that is through a relationship with you. And I pray today they would begin that relationship. So God, we love you and we praise you. God, thank you for your spirit, our helper to indwell us. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We have a song of response. We'll have pastors here. We'd love to pray for you and just encourage you uh, that you would use this time to reflect on your personal relationship with the Lord. And uh, if we can pray or be a blessing, we're here for you. Let's worship the Lord now.